Okay, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, You can find the passage in your bulletin as well, page 260 of the Blue Bibles in the pews in front of you if you'd like to follow along in those as you would prefer. Uh, Just so you know and are aware of it, I won't be preaching on chapter 10. I'll mention it a little bit and, and, and talk about a few parts of it in today's sermon. Uh, But what that means is next week we'll be on to uh, chapter 11. I hope you have enjoyed these last refreshing chapters uh, in the book of 2 Samuel, because next week we get to David and Bathsheba, and it is a rough road to follow uh, in the rest of 2 Samuel uh, after this point. There's much to teach us in it, but uh, it's uh, going to be tough sledding as we go through and into that. But this week, In this chapter that is before us, we continue to see the coming of the kingdom of God in accord with the promises that God made, the covenantal promises that God made specifically to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, we saw that in chapter 8. We saw it last week with all of those victories that David experienced in the establishment of the kingdom and the securing of the borders. There were old photos. That's the way I described it, or one of the ways I described it. Old photos in which we can see how God is fulfilling those kingdom promises, those covenant promises, and we can see in it as well the qualities of the the kingdom, the characteristics of the kingdom. They're in a nascent form, a very early form, but nevertheless, we can begin to see what they look like. It's a victorious, powerful uh, kingdom characterized by uh, justice and righteousness and equity for people. It's uh, secure It's a glorious kingdom. It's a a doxological kingdom, a kingdom that is theocentric in which God is praised at the center and God is the one who is giving all of these victories to David. It is a kingdom given by the Lord and implemented by the anointed king and his people. Today, as we look together at chapter 9, we're going to see another quality of the covenant of the king and of the kingdom. It is the quality of mercy that is on display for us in the text now that I'm going to read for us. So here, the living word of the living God, 2 Samuel 9. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, he's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. 
For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he bade homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Great God in heaven, thank you for your word. Spirit, you who authored these words, we pray that today you would illumine them for us, enlighten us with them. Help us to see what we're to believe about you and how we are to live as your people. Guide us today. Guide the thoughts, my words as I speak this morning and all of us as we hear and sit under your word. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Give us ears to hear. Amen. Two years ago, some of you will recall that I preached a series of sermons in the summer uh, that was called Eat Hearty, a biblical theology of eating and drinking. And in that series, We went through the scriptures and saw how this very basic fundamental theme, this idea of eating and drinking, is in fact central in the message of the Word of God from the very opening pages of the Word of God to the very closing pages of the Word of God. I didn't preach 2 Samuel 9 uh, in that series, but if you want to, I could have, and I will today insert it into that series. When... I finished that summer series, I closed it with a poem from George Herbert, and I'd like to open today's sermon with that same poem once again. The name of the poem is Love. It's the third of the poems that are entitled Love, so Love, the third poem. And uh, and I know, as I've said before, that poetry can be hard to process on your first hearing of it, albeit this is your second hearing of it, but a lot of time in between. So just a quick intro to the the poem so that you understand what's taking place here. You're going to hear the personification of love, uh, and it is a personification of Christ. So identify, when you hear love, identify that with Christ here. And the other character, identify as yourself, okay, as yourself. So there are two characters uh, that are here, Christ and you, And Christ has invited you to come and to sit at his table. That's the context, or that's the the basic thing that's going on here. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. 
the quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, the ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. A leaf was added to the king's table. The servants pull up a chair, and Mephibosheth gets a seat at the table, a mercy seat. A mercy seat outside of the mercy seat that resides in the center of Jerusalem. Mephibosheth sits in a mercy seat. He didn't earn it. He wasn't worthy of it. It was given to him. Out of covenant love, out of covenant grace, out of covenant mercy and kindness. Mephibosheth, as we read, was of the royal line of Saul. And that line had been at war with David. Mephibosheth was a disinherited royal living as a refugee, and he was lame. He was crippled from the time he was five, and we read this earlier as we were working our way through Second Samuel. When he and his nurse at five years old, he fled when he heard of the death of his grandfather Saul and of his father Jonathan. And yet, even though he is lame, he is of the house of Saul, and so a potential rival to the king. People could still rally around him. People who still remember Saul could prop him up as a figurehead and then have power behind him to threaten King David nevertheless. And so at this summons, he's taken from where he was in this self-exile, in this hiding, and he's brought to this place. And at this summons, he probably assumes that he is about to be killed, and he's about to be removed as any kind of threat to the Davidic kingdom. And so he comes in the complete posture of a servant in obeisance with the self-description, a dead dog such as I. A dead dog. And the king says words that in a thousand years will be on the lips of angels when they come to declare the birth of the Davidic king. And the angel will stand before Zechariah and before Mary 
and before shepherds. And they will, these angels will say the exact same thing that David says here, do not fear. Do not fear. Mephibosheth offers to be a servant. Offers to be a servant, but love said, you must sit down and taste my meat. And so Mephibosheth did sit and eat. That's a mercy seat. I suggest to you, my brothers and sisters, that what we have just read is a picture of salvation. Mephibosheth's and ours. Romans 5 teaches us that while we were yet weak, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That was the status that we had when Christ died for us. I want you to hear this again from the Titus 3 passage that was read to us earlier. I want to read the heart of that again. Listen to what this sounds like, again in Pauline language now, from verse 3 to verse 7 of that passage that Rex read for us earlier. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The seat in which you are sitting right now, the uncomfortable pew in which you are sitting, in which your children are squirming, or the perhaps slightly more comfortable folding chairs in the back, the seat in which you are sitting is a mercy seat. You are here in the seat according to the mercy of God. It is the only reason you are in this place right now. There's no other reason. You were a sinner. You were an enemy. You were weak. You were lame. You were part of the malicious kingdom. And God has brought you in to the merciful kingdom. He brought you to this place. You were a disinherited royal. You were an exiled rebel of the enemy kingdom when the God of mercy, with his voice of mercy, called you into this merciful kingdom. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 2. 10. The king of mercy brought you in, sat you down, said to you, don't be afraid, eat hearty. 
the king, adopted us into his family, bestowing on us all of the blessings of sonship. In Jesus, the king's son and the king himself, we have been re-inherited, re-vested, re-invested with all of the blessings, all of the privileges, all of the honor, all of the place, all of the inheritance that belongs to the children of God. Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. First John 3, 1. This, 2 Samuel 9, is a vignette of salvation. But there's an invitation that's in 2 Samuel 9 as well, and it's an invitation a little bit to go behind the scenes. If you will, the main scene, it's repeated three times, is Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table as one of the king's sons. But we get to go behind the scenes a little bit here in this text. And what it shows to us is that as David, the king, invites him to this place, he isn't just being nice. He's acting in covenant. He's wearing the clothing of covenant. He's in the act of remembering covenant, in fact, two covenants. Most explicitly in this text is the covenant that is made with Jonathan, the son of Saul, would-be heir, except for the fact that God had called David and anointed him. Now, let me remind you of this. If you want to, if you've got your Bibles open, you can turn with me back to 1 Samuel 20. If not, just listen carefully as I read for us. These are words from Jonathan to David. May the Lord, this is verse, the end of verse 13 into 14. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemy. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. And there's a lot of text here and a lot of story here, but let me go to the end of that chapter, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. The word that is translated in what I just read for you, steadfast love, in verses 14 and 15, you, you heard it there. Jonathan saying, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 15, do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. That word is the same word that is in our text here at the beginning of chapter 9, translated as kindness can also be translated as mercy, as I have been using it in the sermon thus far. 
And it continues, not just here in chapter 9, but in chapter 10 as well. Once again, there are two extensions, of you will, if you will, of this covenant mercy, of this covenant kindness, of this steadfast love of the covenant, one here to Mephibosheth, and then in chapter 10 to kind of old, we'll call them frenemies, uh, old enemies that had sometimes done good with David. And so in chapter 10, David, this, this king with whom David had had this kind of covenantal-like relationship has died. His son is now in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. And so David sent people to console him in the loss of his father. Loyally, it's the same word. It's the same word. Steadfast love, kindness, mercy, loyally. It is the key word, it is the critical quality for making sense of a covenantal bond and of acting covenantally. In a covenant, when you're making a covenant, you can spell out what it means in detail. You can provide in a covenant the stipulations, and some of those are exactly in what we saw with Jonathan, the particulars of what this means, of what this act of kindness, this act of loyalty will actually mean. But it, kindness, Steadfast love, mercy, loyalty. It is the governing quality. And then depending on the setting of the covenant with whom it is made, one of the dynamics of this word will come to the foreground depending on the nature of the the usage. And that's why you see in the texts that are before us the way it's translated a little bit differently according to each one of those contexts. Why either kindness or steadfast love. Uh, is, uh, or loyalty, is the one that is used there in English. The covenanted love between David and Jonathan and the specified application in that covenanted love, do not cut off my offspring. That's the specification. That's the particularity that is there. Do not cut off Jonathan's offspring. They, that, is what saves Mephibosheth. Not bare feelings of mercy, but covenanted mercy is what saves him. Now, that's one of the covenants. But it's no accident that our text, chapter 9, follows after chapter 7. God's covenant. Because it's set, David's covenant with Jonathan is set in the context of the covenant that exists between God and his people. Now, this Davidic covenant, as in chapter 7, hasn't yet been spelled out to David, but it's clear, even in the early stages, that God is covenanting with David, with this man after his own heart, that God is going to raise him up in the place of Saul, and it's confirmed then in chapter 7, when it says in chapter 7, in the covenant promises, I will not take from him my steadfast love. I won't take it from him. Same word, obviously. I'm not going to take that away from him. I'm not going to take it away from his son. I won't take the steadfast love out of there. Now, if you recall, when we were parked in 
Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, we also spent a lot of time in Psalm 89. And the reason we spent so much psalm time in Psalm 89 is because that psalm does two things. It celebrates the covenant that God has made with David in light of trouble that is facing the people and the seeming incongruity of the trouble with the covenant promises that are made. In Psalm 89 then, over and over again, and I'm just selecting one of them, we have the same affirmation. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm with him. Same word. Thus what we see is that David is in two positions with respect to this covenantal mercy, this covenantal kindness. In God's covenant with David, David, like Mephibosheth, like you, like I, is a recipient of covenant mercy. His seat, David occupies the seat of the throne. His son will occupy the seat of the throne. But what David recognizes is that seat is a mercy seat. His position right there is a mercy seat as much as Mephibosheth's seat is a mercy seat. Who am I? Who am I? Remember that? End of seven, who am I? I don't deserve to be in this place. I don't deserve to have all of these blessings. Who am I to sit in that seat? It's a mercy seat. It's a different kind of mercy seat, but it's a mercy seat nevertheless. David is a recipient of covenant mercy. Now, in David's covenant with Jonathan, he is a distributor of covenant mercy. He's a recipient of covenant mercy, and then he is a distributor of covenant mercy. As the reigning king, he extends mercy to Mephibosheth. He extends the mercy that he has received to Mephibosheth, who receives it, and then even to these old enemies in chapter 10, who, though initially accepting, will end up rejecting that mercy. He's a recipient and a distributor of covenant mercy. Now let's now bring this concretely and specifically to us in two ways. First of all, covenant mercy has been extended to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Covenant mercy. The covenant that exists between the Father and the Son because of the love that the Son has for the Father and the love that the Father has for the Son is now a distributed love by the Holy Spirit. It is extended out. It is extended out. It is the love of the Father and the Son that is extended out unto us, that is held out. The mercy extended is received by trusting in Jesus who extends the mercy to you and calls you to his table. Come. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. Don't spend your money on the other stuff. Come. This is the place of rest. To those of you who do not trust in him, we say to you, on his behalf, Come and eat what is good. There is good food. 
offered by that Savior. Come as you are, lame, exiled, enslaved to various passions. Come like Mephibosheth, a dead dog, and you will be re-inherited, reinvested, revised, adopted, and given a seat at the table. Jesus came and died for enemies, sinners, for the weak, for the sick, for the lame. In its simplest form, here's the way you come. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's how you come. That's how you always come. That's how you first came. That's how you always come. Receive mercy. Take a seat and eat. And we can all rejoice then in mercy received. And we can all partake of more mercy. The second way to see this passage as is as an example of mercy being extended. We, the people, are to be imitators of the king and exhibitors of the qualities of the kingdom. King David extended the mercy given to him imperfectly, as we will see, as we've already seen in his life, but as we will see glaringly in the weeks to come. King Jesus extends mercy that is his to extend, and he does so perfectly. Paul picks up on exactly this idea in what we've read from earlier from Titus 3. Now let me read the beginning and end again, knowing what's in the middle is the mercy that has been shown us. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's extending mercy to all people. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Recipients of mercy are distributors of mercy, are the vehicle, the means by which that very mercy that they have received is distributed unto the world. Look at the front of your bulletin, and let's hear the instruction exactly from the lips of our Lord. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the mercy showers. They receive more of what they received at first. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And then, of course, words that could be draped across our passage. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame. Invite Mephibosheth, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
as families and as individuals and as a church, may we be ever delighted diners at the table of covenant mercy. And may we be counted among those who look to invite others to that table, to share that which we have received and thus distribute the covenant mercy of God. We are an outpost of mercy. In the first verse of our text today, David had a question. The timing is not an accident. In chapter 8, we see that the Lord had given him rest from the enemies who were around him. And the covenant promise with Jonathan Jonathan was, when the Lord gives you rest from the enemies are around you, don't destroy my offspring at that point. Don't go looking around for my children to say, all right, well, they're the last ones. Let's get rid of them as well. Don't destroy my offspring at that point. David asked this, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Here's a question. Ask it to yourself. Is there anyone in your house, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your office, to whom you can extend kindness for the sake of the covenant It is between Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, and which has saved you and brought you mercy. Is there anyone to whom you can show covenantal kindness? Lord, give us eyes to see. You have granted us mercy, undeserved, and boundless. Help us to delight in it and help it to overflow out of our lives, out of our hearts, into those who are around us. We know that some will receive it, Mephibosheth. We know that it might get complicated in the future, as it will with Mephibosheth and Ziba. We know that some will reject it, as they did in chapter 10, as Hanan, the son of Nahash, did with the Ammonites. But Lord, this is the means that you have chosen weak and broken people so that you in your greatness and your mercy may shine forth. And so let us receive and let us give it in his name. Amen.